0: Section 5 of State of the Union Addresses 1885-1888 to 1888. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. President Grover Cleveland, December 6, 1886, Part 2 Pursuant to a provision of the Diplomatic and Consular Appropriation Act, approved July 1, 1886, the estimates submitted by the Secretary of State for the maintenance of the consular service have been recast on the basis of salaries for all officers to whom such allowance is deemed advisable. Advantage has been taken of this to redistribute the salaries of the offices now appropriated for, in accordance with the work performed, the importance of the representative duties of the incumbent and the cost of living at each post the last consideration has been too often lost sight of in the allowances heretofore made the compensation which may suffice for the decent maintenance of a worthy and capable officer in a position of onerous and representative trust at a post readily accessible and where the necessaries of life are abundant and cheap may prove an inadequate pittance in distant lands where the better part of a year's pay is consumed in reaching the post of duty and where the comforts of ordinary civilized existence can only be obtained with difficulty and at exorbitant cost i trust that in considering the submitted schedules no mistaken theory of economy will perpetuate a system which in the past has virtually closed to deserving talent many offices where capacity and attainments of a high order are indispensable and in not a few instances has brought discredit on our national character and entailed embarrassment and even suffering on those deputed to uphold our dignity and interests abroad in connection with this subject i earnestly reiterate the practical necessity of supplying some mode of trustworthy inspection and report of the manner in which the consulates are conducted in the absence of such reliable information efficiency can scarcely be rewarded or its opposite corrected increasing competition in trade has directed attention to the value of the consular reports printed by the department of state and the efforts of the government to extend the practical usefulness of these reports have created a wider demand for them at home and a spirit of emulation abroad. Constituting a record at the changes occurring in trade and of the progress of the arts and invention in foreign countries, they are much sought for by all interested in the subjects which they embrace the report of the secretary of the treasury exhibits in detail the condition of the public finances and of the several branches of the government related to his department i especially direct the attention of the congress to the recommendations contained in this and the last preceding report of the secretary touching the simplification and amendment of the laws relating to the collection of our revenues and in the interest of economy and justice to the government, I hope they may be adopted by appropriate legislation. The ordinary receipts of the government for the fiscal year ended June 30, 1886, were $336,439,727.06. Of this amount, $192,905,023.41 was received from Customs, and one hundred sixteen million eight hundred five thousand nine hundred thirty six dollars and forty eight cents from internal revenue the total receipts as here stated were thirteen million seven hundred forty nine thousand twenty dollars and sixty eight cents greater than for the previous year but the increase from customs was eleven million four hundred thirty four thousand eighty four dollars and ten cents and from internal revenue four million four hundred seven thousand two hundred ten dollars and ninety four cents making a gain in these items for the last year of fifteen million eight hundred forty one thousand two hundred ninety five dollars and four cents a falling off in other resources reducing the total increase to the smaller amount mentioned the expense at the different custom houses of collecting this increased customs revenue was less than the expense attending the collection of such revenue for the preceding year by $490,608, and the increased receipts of Internal Revenue were collected at a cost to the Internal Revenue Bureau $155,944.99 less than the expense of such collection for the previous year. The total ordinary expenses of the government for the fiscal year ended June 30, 1886 were $242,483,138.50, being less by $17,788,797 than such expenditures for the year preceding, and leaving a surplus in the Treasury at the close of the last fiscal year of $93,956,588.56 as against $63,463,771.27 at the close of the previous year, being an increase in such surplus of $30,492,817.29. The expenditures are compared with those of the preceding fiscal year and classified as follows. For the current year to end June 30, 1887, the ascertained receipts up to October 1, 1886, with such receipts estimated for the remainder of the year, amount to $356 million. The expenditures ascertained and estimated for the same period are $266 million, indicating an anticipated surplus at the close of the year of ninety million dollars the total value of the exports from the united states to foreign countries during the fiscal year is stated and compared with the preceding year as follows the value of some of our leading exports during the last fiscal year as compared with the value of the same for the year immediately preceding is here given and furnishes information both interesting and suggestive our imports during the last fiscal year as compared with the previous year were as follows in my last annual message to the congress attention was directed to the fact that the revenues of the government exceeded its actual needs and it was suggested that legislative action should be taken to relieve the people from the unnecessary burden of taxation thus made apparent in view of the pressing importance of this subject, I deem it my duty to again urge its consideration. The income of the government, by its increased volume, and through economies in its collection, is now more than ever in excess of public necessities. The application of the surplus to the payment of such portion of the public debt, as is now at our option subject to extinguishment, if continued at the rate which has lately prevailed, would retire that class of indebtedness within less than one year from the state. thus a continuation of our present revenue system would soon result in the receipt of an annual income much greater than necessary to meet government expenses with no indebtedness upon which it could be applied we should then be confronted with a vast quantity of money the circulating medium of the people hoarded in the treasury when it should be in their hands or we should be drawn into the wasteful public extravagance with all the corrupting national demoralization which follows in its train but it is not the simple existence of this surplus and its threatened attendant evils which furnish the strongest argument against our present scale of federal taxation its worst phase is the exaction of such a surplus through a perversion of the relations between the people and their government and a dangerous departure from the rules which limit the right of federal taxation good government and especially the government of which every american citizen boasts has for its objects the protection of every person within its care in the greatest liberty consistent with the good order of society and his perfect security in the enjoyment of his earnings with the least possible diminution for public needs when more of the people's substance is exacted through the form of taxation than is necessary to meet the just obligations of the government and the expense of its economical administration such exaction becomes ruthless extortion and a violation of the fundamental principles of a free government the indirect manner in which these exactions are made has a tendency to conceal their true character and their extent but we have arrived at a stage of superfluous revenue which has aroused the people to a realization of the fact that the amount raised professedly for the support of the government is paid by them as absolutely if added to the price of the things which supply their daily wants as if it was paid at fixed periods into the hand of the tax-gatherer those who toil for daily wages are beginning to understand that capital though sometimes vaunting its importance and clamoring for the protection and favor of the government is dull and sluggish till touched by the magical hand of labor it springs into activity furnishing an occasion for federal taxation and gaining the value which enables it to bear its burden and the laboring man is thoughtfully inquiring whether in these circumstances and considering the tribute he constantly pays into the public treasury as he supplies his daily wants he receives his fair share of advantages there is also a suspicion abroad that the surplus of our revenues indicates abnormal and exceptional business profits which under the system which produces such surplus increase without corresponding benefit to the people at large the vast accumulations of a few among our citizens whose fortunes rivaling the wealth of the most favored in anti-democratic nations are not the natural growth of a steady plain and industrious republic our farmers too and those engaged directly and indirectly in supplying the products of agriculture see that day by day and as often as the daily wants of their households recur they are forced to pay excessive and needless taxation while their products struggle in foreign markets with the competition of nations which by allowing freer exchange of productions than we permit enable their people to sell for prices which distress the American farmer as every patriotic citizen rejoices in the constantly increasing pride of our people in American citizenship and in the glory of our national achievements and progress a sentiment prevails that the leading strings useful to a nation in its infancy may well be to a great extent discarded in the present stage of american ingenuity courage and fearless self-reliance and for the privilege of indulging this sentiment with true american enthusiasm our citizens are quite willing to forego an idle surplus in the public treasury and all the people know that the average rate of federal taxation upon imports is to-day in time of peace but little less while upon some articles of necessary consumption it is actually more than was imposed by the grievous burden willingly borne at a time when the government needed millions to maintain by war the safety and integrity of the union it has been the policy of the government to collect the principal part of its revenues by a tax upon imports and no change in this policy is desirable but the present condition of affairs constrains our people to demand that by a revision of our revenue laws the receipts of the government shall be reduced to the necessary expense of its economical administration and this demand should be recognized and obeyed by the people's representatives in the legislative branch of the government in readjusting the burdens of federal taxation a sound public policy requires that such of our citizens as have built up large and important industries under present conditions should not be suddenly and to their injury deprived of advantages to which they have adopted their business but if the public good requires it they should be content with such consideration as shall deal fairly and cautiously with their interests while the just demand of the people for relief from needless taxation is honestly answered a reasonable and timely submission to such a demand should certainly be possible without disastrous shock to any interest and a cheerful concession sometimes averts abrupt and heedless action often the outgrowth of impatience and delayed justice due regard should be also accorded in any proposed readjustment to the interests of american labor so far as they are involved we congratulate ourselves that there is among us no laboring class fixed within unyielding bounds and doomed under all conditions to the inexorable fate of daily toil we recognize in labor a chief factor in the wealth of the republic and we treat those who have it in their keeping as citizens entitled to the most careful regard and thoughtful attention this regard and attention should be awarded them not only because labor is the capital of our workingmen justly entitled to its share of government favor but for the further and not less important reason than the laboring man surrounded by his family in his humble home as a consumer is vitally interested in all that cheapens the cost of living and enables him to bring within his domestic circle additional comforts and advantages this relation of the workingman to the revenue laws of the country and the manner in which it palpably influences the question of wages should not be forgotten in the justifiable prominence given to the proper maintenance of the supply and protection of well-paid labor and these considerations suggest such an arrangement of government revenues as shall reduce the expense of living while it does not curtail the opportunity for work nor reduce the compensation of american labor and injuriously affect its condition and the dignified place it holds in the estimation of our people but our farmers and agriculturists those who from the soil produce the things consumed by all are perhaps more directly and plainly concerned than any other of our citizens in a just and careful system of federal taxation those actually engaged in and more remotely connected with this kind of work number nearly one-half of our population none labor harder or more continuously than they no enactments limit their hours of toil and no interposition of the government enhances to any great extent the value of their products and yet for many of the necessaries and comforts of life which the most scrupulous economy enables them to bring into their homes and for their implements of husbandry they are obliged to pay a price largely increased by the unnatural profit which by the action of the government is given to the more favoured manufacturer i recommend that keeping in view all these considerations the increasing and unnecessary surplus of national income annually accumulating be released to the people by an amendment to our revenue laws which shall cheapen the price of the necessaries of life and give freer entrance to such imported materials as by american labor may be manufactured into marketable commodities nothing can be accomplished however in the direction of this much-needed reform unless the subject is approached in a patriotic spirit of devotion to the interests of the entire country and with a willingness to yield something for the public good the sum paid upon the public debt during the fiscal year ended june thirtieth eighteen eighty six was forty four million five hundred fifty one thousand forty three dollars and thirty six cents during the twelve months ended october thirty one eighteen eighty six three percent bonds were called for redemption amounting to one hundred twenty seven million two hundred eighty three thousand one hundred dollars of which eighty million six hundred forty three thousand two hundred dollars was so called to answer the requirements of the law relating to the sinking fund and forty six million six hundred thirty nine thousand nine hundred dollars for the purpose of reducing the public debt by application of a part of the surplus in the Treasury to that object. Of the bonds thus called, $102,269,450 became subject under such calls to redemption prior to November 1, 1886. The remainder, amounting to $25,013,650, matured under the calls after that date in addition to the amount subject to payment and cancellation prior to november one there were also paid before that date certain of these bonds with the interest thereon amounting to five million seventy two thousand three hundred fifty dollars which were anticipated as to their maturity of which two million six hundred sixty four thousand eight hundred fifty dollars had not been called thus one hundred seven million three hundred forty one thousand eight hundred dollars had been actually applied prior to the first of november eighteen eighty six to the extinguishment of our bonded and interest bearing debt leaving on that day still outstanding the sum of one billion one hundred fifty three million four hundred forty three thousand one hundred twelve dollars of this amount eighty six million eight hundred forty eight thousand seven hundred dollars were still represented by three per cent bonds they however have been since november one or will at once be, further reduced by $22,606,150, being bonds which have been called, as already stated, but not redeemed and cancelled before the latter date. During the fiscal year ended June 30, 1886, there were coined under the Compulsory Silver Coinage Act of eighteen seventy-eight twenty-nine million eight hundred thirty-eight thousand nine hundred five silver coins and the cost of the silver used in such coinage was $23,448,960.01. There had been coined up to the close of the previous fiscal year under the provisions of the law 203882554 silver dollars, and on the first day of December, 1886, the total amount of such coinage was $247,131,549. The director of the mint reports that at the time of the passage of the law of eighteen seventy eight directing this coinage, the intrinsic value of the dollars thus coined was ninety four and one quarter cents each, and that on the thirty first day of July, eighteen eighty six, the price of silver reached the lowest stage ever known, so that the intrinsic or bullion price of our standard silver dollar at that date was less than seventy two cents the price of silver on the thirtieth day of november last was such as to make these dollars intrinsically worth seventy-eight cents each these differences in value of the coins represent the fluctuations in the price of silver and they certainly do not indicate that compulsory coinage by the government enhances the price of that commodity or secures uniformity in its value every fair and legal effort has been made by the treasury department to distribute this currency among the people the withdrawal of united states treasury notes of small denominations and the issuing of small silver certificates have been resorted to in the endeavor to accomplish this result in obedience to the will and sentiments of the representatives of the people in the congress on the twenty seventh day of november eighteen eighty six the people held of these coins, or certificates representing them, the nominal sum of $166,873,041, and we still had $79,464,345 in the treasury, as against about $142,894,055, so in the hands of the people, and $72,865,376 remaining in the treasury one year ago. The director of the Mint again urges the necessity of more vault room for the purpose of storing these silver dollars, which are not needed for circulation by the people. I have seen no reason to change the views expressed in my last annual message on the subject of this compulsory coinage, and i again urge its suspension on all the grounds contained in my former recommendation reinforced by the significant increase of our gold exportations during the last year as appears by the comparative statement herewith presented and for the further reasons that the more this currency is distributed among the people the greater becomes our duty to protect it from disaster that we now have abundance for all our needs and that there seems but little propriety in building vaults to store such currency when the only pretense for its coinage is the necessity of its use by the people as a circulating medium the great number of suits now pending in the united states courts for the southern district of new york growing out of the collection of customs revenue at the port of new york and the number of such suits that are almost daily instituted are certainly worthy the attention of the Congress. These legal controversies, based upon conflicting views by importers and the collector as to the interpretation of our present complex and indefinite revenue laws, might be largely obviated by an amendment of those laws. But pending such amendment, the present condition of this litigation should be relieved. There are now pending about 2,500 of these suits more than eleven hundred have been commenced within the past eighteen months and many of the others have been at issue for more than twenty-five years these delays subject the government to loss of evidence and prevent the preparation necessary to defeat unjust and fictitious claims while constantly accruing interest threatens to double the demands involved in the present condition of the dockets of the courts well filled with private suits and of the force allowed the district attorney no greater than is necessary for the ordinary and current business of his office these revenue litigations cannot be considered in default of the adoption by the congress of a plan for the general reorganization of the federal courts as has been heretofore recommended i urge the propriety of passing a law permitting the appointment of an additional federal judge in the district where these government suits have accumulated so that by continuous sessions of the courts devoted to the trial of these cases they may be determined it is entirely plain that a great saving to the government would be accomplished by such a remedy and the suitors who gave honest claims would not be denied justice through delay the report of the secretary of war gives a detailed account of the administration of his department and contains sundry recommendations for the improvement of the service, which I fully approve. The Army consisted at the date of the last consolidated return of 2,103 officers and 24,946 enlisted men. The expenses of the Department for the last fiscal year were $36,990,903.38, including six million two hundred ninety four thousand three hundred five dollars and forty three cents for public works and river and harbor improvements i especially direct the attention of the congress to the recommendation that officers be required to submit to an examination as a preliminary to their promotion i see no objection but many advantages in adopting this feature which has operated so beneficially in our Navy Department as well as in some branches of the Army. The subject of coast defenses and fortifications has been fully and carefully treated by the Board on Fortifications, whose report was submitted at the last session of Congress, but no construction work of the kind recommended by the Board has been possible during the last year from the lack of appropriations for such purpose. The defenseless condition of our seacoast and lake frontier is perfectly palpable. The examinations made must convince us all that certain of our cities named in the report of the board should be fortified and that work on the most important of these fortifications should be commenced at once. The work has been thoroughly considered and laid out, the Secretary of War reports, but all is delayed in default of congressional actions the absolute necessity judged by all standards of prudence and foresight of our preparation for an effectual resistance against the armored ships and steel guns and mortars of modern construction which may threaten the cities of our coast is so apparent that i hope effective steps will be taken in that direction immediately the valuable and suggestive treatment of this question by the secretary of war is earnestly commended to the consideration of the congress in september and october last the hostile apaches who under the leadership of geronimo had for eighteen months been on the war path and during that time had committed many murders and been the cause of constant terror to the settlers of arizona surrendered to general miles the military commander who succeeded general crook in the management and direction of their pursuit under the terms of their surrender as then reported and in view of the understanding which these murderous savages seemed to entertain of the assurances given them it was considered best to imprison them in such manner as to prevent their ever engaging in such outrages again instead of trying them for murder fort pickens having been selected as a safe place of confinement all the adult males were sent thither and will be closely guarded as prisoners in the meantime the residue of the band who though still remaining upon the reservation were regarded as unsafe and suspected of furnishing aid to those on the warpath have been removed to fort Marion. the women and larger children of the hostiles were also taken there and arrangements have been made for putting the children of proper age in indian schools the report of the secretary of the navy contains a detailed exhibit of the condition of his department with such a statement of the action needed to improve the same as should challenge the earnest attention of the Congress. The present Navy of the United States, aside from the ships in course of construction, consists of, first, 14 single turreted monitors, none of which are in commission nor at the present time serviceable. The batteries of these ships are obsolete and they can only be relied upon as auxiliary ships in harbor defense, and then after such an expenditure upon them as might not be deemed justifiable second five fourth rate vessels of small tonnage only one of which was designed as a war vessel and all of which are auxiliary merely third twenty-seven cruising ships three of which are built of iron of small tonnage and twenty-four of wood of these wooden vessels it is estimated by the chief constructor of the navy that only three will be serviceable beyond a period of six years at which time it may be said that of the present naval force nothing worthy the name will remain all the vessels heretofore authorized are under contract or in course of construction except the armored ships the torpedo and dynamite boats and one cruiser as to the last of these the bids were in excess of the limit fixed by congress the production in the united states of armor and gun steel is a question which it seems necessary to settle at an early day if the armored war vessels are to be completed with those materials of home manufacture this has been the subject of investigation by two boards and by two special committees of congress within the last three years the report of the Gun Foundry Board in 1884 of the Board on Fortifications made in January last and the reports of the select committees of the two houses made at the last session of Congress have entirely exhausted the subject so far as preliminary investigation is involved and in the recommendations they are substantially agreed in the event that the present invitation of the department forbids to furnish such of this material as is now authorized shall fail to induce domestic manufacturers to undertake the large expenditures required to prepare for this new manufacture and no other steps are taken by congress at its coming session the secretary contemplates with dissatisfaction the necessity of obtaining abroad the armor and the gun steel for the authorized ships it would seem desirable that the wants of the army and the navy in this regard should be reasonably met and that by uniting their contracts such inducement might be offered as would result in securing the domestication of these important interests End of section 5